Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Humans of Speedway's Speedway Paradise. Now, over the course of the winter, my plan is to serialize some of the um, previous episodes from Humans of Speedway in the Speedway Paradise section, where we get our guests to create their dream Speedway meeting. Now, this works around the same questions. Which track would you choose, regardless of facilities surrounding it, but purely for the racing? Which stadium would that be in? Your all-time one to seven the best referee, the one rule you would change, and the opposition for your dream team. This has to be a complete team that actually did exist in history. So those are the questions, some fascinating answers through the course of the series, and you can hear them all right now by going to any of the previous episodes. The first one I'm going to pick out for you, though, is from Peter Oakes. Now, Peter Oakes, a long history in Speedway, starting out as a journalist, ending up being... Ivan Major's manager, arguably the greatest rider of all time, and so some amazing stories there, and I'm sure that Ivan may well feature in that team. Um, uh, Well, he does. You'll you'll hear that in just a few moments' time. Um, He's also been a promoter, a manager, and is still a journalist to this day, writing uh, articles, and he's got his own column, of course, in the Speedway Star as well. So we're going to speak with Peter Oakes, and here's his Speedway Paradise. Desert Island Discs, but with a bit more shale. Um, and I like that, Ian. Yeah, I, I just came up with that there and then. I thought, yeah, very good. I, 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 don't, yeah. I don't know why I haven't been saying that for the last uh, last no. six weeks. Um, I can see why you're a professional. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm just just getting away with it for uh, for a prolonged amount of time. I think is, is, is <laughs> as we all are. Um, so you're going to host a, a, a virtual speedway event. Then um, mm-hmm. we're going to start by asking you which track you would choose to race on. This is irrespective of all of the facilities. So we're basing it purely on the shape and the shale. On the shape and the shale. Where are we going to go? Am I allowed to have two tracks? Why not? Why not? Well, what I'd have is certainly the old Bellevue, Hyde Road. Best track I've ever seen in Britain. 420 yards, which gives me the facility to have a smaller track inside. Oh, Um, and I would go for a Californian track called San Bernardino. I went over to America for, I think it was for a World Team Cup final at Long Beach. And in the week, I went to San Bernardino, which was probably 160, 180 yards, something like that. And I can honestly say I have never, ever seen racing as exciting and close as I did that night at San Bernardino. I don't know whether it was a rarity or whether that was the way it was. So I'd certainly like to put this little San Bernardino track inside the old Hyde Road. Wow. And that would be then the absolute two dream circuits for excitement, skill, sheer entertainment. Two 15 heat meetings. Got you. And what also are great, you've got the, the near quarter of a mile of Bellevue and then you've got this little technical tri- tricky track. You add the points up on aggregate and get the winner at the end of that. Wow. So you're sorting out the, the small track men from the big track men in one go. Yep. Got yeah, you. it would. 
Okay, so which stadium would go around the edge of these tracks then? Because it sounds uh, like a fantastic idea. Uh, based on the facilities, atmosphere, places you've been to in your time, I mean, it may not be standing anymore, but which, uh, which, which stadium are we going for? Has to be Wembley, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, plus the old Wembley, the Twin Towers Wembley. The, the only drawback about um, Wembley was the track wasn't very good. So we've already covered that. So yeah. we've now got the, the two perfect tracks and the perfect stadium. I can remember I, I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of world finals in the pits at Wembley and to, to hear the roar of that Wembley crowd when the riders went out on parade was something you, know, you could never, ever forget. I was um, privileged to be very heavily involved in the 1981 World Final, the last World Final we had at Wembley. And you know, while you know, the, the, the stadium itself was probably just coming towards the end of its life, wasn't it? A little worse for wear, but mm-hmm. it was such a magical venue. Um, you know, it's why everyone still talks about Wembley today, isn't it? That you know, when you consider it's nearly 40 years since the last Speedway meeting at Wembley and and everyone still talks about Wembley. Riders who were there still talk about Wembley. Riders who weren't there say, I never rode at Wembley, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, fantastic place. You know, the best place in the world. Now, moving on to the people who are going to take part in this meeting then, riding two meetings in one, um, yep. your all-time one to seven. Now, this can be any rider from any era, yep. uh, alive or sadly no longer with us, no points limits involved or anything like that. And um, obviously, it is just a home meeting, so I suspect Ivan might be involved, but uh, yeah, well, over it, to you. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right on that, that Ivan has to be you know, number one, doesn't he, that um, his record just... Proves itself, and that anyone who can win six you know, world titles on a one-off basis, um, frightening how many you might have won on a Grand Prix basis. Um, and I don't know. We we just sort of hit it off. But um, at the time, I, I wasn't married, and but my girlfriend with Pam, and she just hit it off with Ivan's wife Ray, and um, because you know we became very close friends, and we would go out uh, in an evening together. We'd go off to see a show or or things like that. And I I can't even remember when we we first decided that we'd set up a company um, between the four of us. We, we all became four directors of a company called Projector Sport Limited, which handled all Ivan's media uh, appearances, media columns. We started writing columns for, initially, I think the first one was probably the Speedway Star, but as it, as it you know, moved on, you know, we would, I would, I would ghostwrite all these columns for we do it for evening newspapers. I uh, you know, would arrange to for him to appear on radio on quite quite regularly on the BBC on the radio. Things like Blue Peter, Later Days, Question of Sport. We just basically hit it off, and I've I've always said to to anyone who's asked, well, you know, how how come you you got on so well with him? And I, I firmly believe it is because I one reason is that I had absolutely no mechanical knowledge at all. I don't know anything about speedway engines. I have absolutely no desire to know anything about speedway engines. It doesn't interest me in the slightest. And I could go along and I would sit in the workshop talking to Ivan while he and his team 
were working on engines and doing whatever they did. And I think Ivan always felt totally confident that even on the week of the world final, I could sit there and I wouldn't have the slightest clue what he was doing. <laughs> so I could never, ever give away any mechanical secrets. <laughs> Ivan would, yeah, would have denied all that and said he never even thought of it. But I still have that little thing at the back of my mind. I think it probably helped that he knew I could never, ever go away and give away any of his workshop uh, secrets. And I guess you could never question him on what he was doing on that front as well, like, say, versus a, a, an ex-rider might. No, I could never turn around and say, oh, well, you know, why are you putting those handlebars on or, mm-hmm. or why are you putting red t- tape on the, the throttle um, twist grip rather than blue tape or white tape? Never, ever um, <laughs> could I ask him. <laughs> All I'd ask him would be, you know, we'd just be talking as you, as you talk with a mate. And, you know, we, we, we went on holidays together. And when I moved down to London uh, after... I'd been. I was only a year in Wales in Cardiff, and then I, I moved back to London on the paper to, for the London office. And if if Ivan was down in London or off to the to an airport, he would stay with us. And yeah, we we just became you know very 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 close. And our you know my daughter got on with Ivan's children, and certainly with the two uh, two daughters, she was sort of bridesmaid for for the eldest daughter, Julie. And you know, we went on holiday with each other. We go down. I remember one great one when we went to Cornwall uh, to a place called Saint Agnes, which was a a beautiful little village on the uh, Cornish coast. And we were on the beach one day, and a little boy came up to Ivan and sort of said, "Oh, are you Ivan Major?" And to he, he probably regretted it afterwards. Ivan turned around <laughs> and said, "No." Oh no! <laughs> uh, because you, know, we treated it. It was it was a, a break. You know, we didn't want to be involved in any speedway. We were just out there as a family. And I can always you know, wonder whether Ivan later on thought, "Oh, I really, I wish I'd have sort of said yes to that poor little lad." But, uh, <laughs> so if he's still around somewhere, an apology on behalf of Ivan. Yeah, if you ever had that sort of wonder in your mind, then yes, it definitely was him. When you look back at your time with Ivan, and and obviously these are rich times. Maybe I'm leaping ahead slightly here. What what's your sort of favourite? story or memory with with Ivan that 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 um you, you look back on and maybe smile the most um probably the one that I I smile the most was um a world final at Gothenburg where I, Ivan was very much a, a loner in his preparation for a world final in the in the um days and the weeks leading up to a world final he become very very you know insular very much in a zone uh, get a bit, you know, quite ratty. Um, like you would have a go at people. The we often sort of said, you know, Ray's life, his wife's life was was held during the week of a world final. Um, and he also, yeah, you know, we would never go into a hotel where the other riders were because he didn't want to be mixing with them. He wanted to be on his own, do his own thing. And we went to um, to Gothenburg for this world final, and we're out in the put a hotel in the woods and we were settled in the hotel and then all of a sudden uh, through the doors who should come but Dave Lanning and the entire world of sport (laughs) team and the thought that there we were trying to keep away from everybody and in comes the man who 
you know, Dave, absolutely larger than life, a wonderful personality. Oh, what are you doing here? So, <laughs> you know, that, that was one of the funny ones. Uh, another one which um, I, 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 I wasn't actually totally privy to what happened, but we, again, we was in, I think we were in Denmark, and um, the intention was that we were going to, to come back um, the meeting was probably on a, might be either a Saturday or a Sunday, and we were going to come back. But Ivan decided that he wasn't going to come back. He was going to do another meeting over there. All um, going to come back by car. So he <laughs> told Ray and and Pam, "Look, we're not coming back. we you know we'll come back later." So <laughs> this caused, as you can imagine, some <laughs> some fury amongst the the two women. So they. <laughs> Ray decided, right, I'll show you. So she went and booked on the, the ferry to go from what would it have been um, Eschberg, probably, back, or it might even be in Gothenburg, straight from Gothenburg. Anyway, she booked on the ferry, but it was full. Um, so that gave her a sight problem, but she asked, are you sure it's full? And they said, oh, well, no, the, the only room that we've had, or the only cabins we have, are the the Queen's suite. Right. That was literally the suite that the Queen used. So okay. So said, we'll have it. <laughs> oh, so, man. <laughs> so Aaron Powell sort of trundled in and had the absolute luxurious you know, <laughs> trip back on this ferry. And it was it was an overnight ferry. So, and you know, it was all, I think also it was sort of champagne on Ivan all the time. She said, I'll make him pay for this, you know. <laughs> so heaven knows what the bill was, but that you know, it, it, it's also it's a side of Ivan that sort of people never saw. And the like, I, I did a, a little thing on um, I think Facebook the other day saying, you know, out of these ten people, you know, who have I never had a drink with? And you'd be amazed that I would say fifty, sixty percent of the the people who answered said Ivan Major. Yeah, which sort of astounded me because yeah, Ivan wasn't teetotal. Ivan enjoyed a drink when he wasn't racing. Out of the season, he'd be the first to to have to start drinking. He'd be dancing on tables. But this was a side that not even his rivals ever saw. They didn't know about. And and several riders from the time actually said, "Oh, it'll be Ivan Major that you've never had a drink with." And to give you an idea that the the other people included uh, people like Princess Anne, um, to name drop. That, yes. <laughs> um, we can hear them clanging in there. <laughs> yeah, Richard Harris, uh, G- uh, Roger Moore, who was James Bond amongst other yes. things. Because yeah, my sort of, my later career journalistically was um, showbiz, writing about showbiz and television. So there were all these sort of big names that I'd you know, been out and had lunch with or so. And there was the, the, the one that, um, I'm trying to think, I can't remember who the one I said, that, who I hadn't been out for a drink. Oh, I know sort of Jimi Hendrix was on the list. And, and yet all these people thought that the one I hadn't ever had a drink with was Ivan, because they thought it was a trick and that Ivan never drank. So you know, a, it was just nice to know the other side, the other side of a person, because, yeah, he, like he was... Without doubt, he was he was my best friend. You know, we used to speak when he was over here. We would speak literally every other day. Um, 
And even when he went, he retired and went back to Australia, he'd, he'd still speak at least every couple of weeks, maybe more frequent. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was a friendship that lasted and, and the friendship with the family lasts today. We're still in regular touch with each other. You know, we've been Zooming each other, you know, during the you know, pandemic. And it's, you know, it's been such a, you know, we all make you know, special friends, don't we, in, in our lives. And that was very much a special friend. And, you know, we probably only had, you know, maybe one or two fallouts the whole, the whole of the time. And it was, um, you know, it, it was good to be able to also share the, you know, some of the success that he had over the years and to, you know, to think, you know, I played a part in it. Like our, you know, financially, our arrangement was always that we split everything. Uh, there was never any suggestion of any other way of doing it that, you know, there, there were four of us who were directors and we each took 25% of whatever we made out of it all. And, That's really great. And, you know, I was always totally trustworthy with what I did from, you know, the columns I would write for him. But um, you're good times. And Ivan also trusted you with uh, helping him out with the contract details when, when they came up, sorting out his terms. And uh, I want to delve into the details of an Ivan Major contract because he had some um, particular demands that actually got approved by the BSPA. Take note, riders of today, uh, Ivan had a deal with Exeter that he would only ride home meetings. You know, ourselves and Newcastle, Lee and Thomas, had been asked to, you know, we, the promoters wanted us to go into the first division. We both agreed. We were both told that we would get help with building a team, that they'd ensure that we got access to, you know, to riders. That, uh, and it just didn't work out that way, that, um, you know, we couldn't find, because there were now extra teams coming into the top flight, there wasn't an abundance. There was a shortage of riders, and riders just didn't want to go down to Exeter, that Exeter was a, a very sort of different track. It had this, in, in many ways, this horrid steel fence, um, it was banked, it was fast, it was relatively narrow. And riders, very few riders actually lived in the West Country. They nearly all lived in the, the Midlands or the North. And they wouldn't come down. And I can remember just talking to Ivan one day and saying, oh, look, we, we, you know, would you come and ride us for a season? And he said, no, the only way I'll do it is if I just ride home meetings. <laughs> so, yeah, we thought, well, you know, nothing, nothing ventured, nothing gained. We applied to the BSPA and lo and behold, they agreed to it. So, you know, we actually saw him then in his final season in in Britain. That, um, you know, it wasn't a successful season. You know, we had, you know, the crowds just didn't respond because of our results the same. You know, Newcastle had similar problems and you know, it was another case of where promoters, you know, had made promises which they didn't keep. And as a result, they lost two tracks as a result of it. It's, as far as racing at the in the first division was concerned, although Exeter did then carry on in the second division, but um, I don't think neither neither has thought you know, he would ride for Exeter. I'd I'd been trying all sorts of people. Originally, I did was hoping that he would agree to do a full season home and away, but you know that wasn't on his agenda. I, Ivan's contract with Exeter, he insisted on having a private aeroplane uh, pick him up from the airport and fly him down to Exeter. Um, he didn't always stick to that, particularly after the the pilot had actually crushed a plane when he wasn't when Ivan wasn't in it. 
and, and he, he started to sort of allow to be picked up by car and taken down to Exeter. He also demanded that um, got rid of a lot of the green on the Exeter race jackets um, because he considered green unlucky. <laughs> right. Um, he never ever uh, he, he never ever demanded to be at number one. Um, you know ever. That, uh, I know some riders would do that. Was in the days, if you remember, you could ride anywhere in the team. Mm-hmm. Um, he also had the rights to all the photographs that were image rights, you'd call them today. He was probably the first speedway rider to have image rights. That was also in his contract. Um, quite a lot of things. So, so but none, none of them. Yeah, you, know, you wouldn't look at them and say, "Oh, they're terribly outrageous," because he he produced the goods. Uh, number two, I'd I'd go for Ty Buffenden. I okay, I have an involvement with Ty, and um, but I do believe that if anyone is capable of surpassing the six world titles that Ivan and Tony Rickardson have, it has got to be Ty. Um, he's already got three. He's a young man. As long as he retains his hunger, and I think that's the most important thing. If he retains his hunger, he can certainly win six seven world titles i think um over time he's as good as any rider i've ever seen his mentality is so good uh, he, he's a rarity in some ways that he he is just so laid back as well um you know he will stop he'll talk to you during a meeting you know majority of riders at a world final are a bit insular and keep within themselves but ty it just, I think the typical example of Ty was, wasn't it, when he had that crash in um, 2017, mm-hmm. was it 2000, 2018, um, if you remember in the final round of the GP, he came back into the pits and, you know, totally unfazed and cracking jokes yeah. and saying things like, oh, yeah have to give him a bit of a show and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, you worked on his on, on, on the book as well, didn't you? Yeah, you know, did the um, his autobiography with him, um, which again, is super to deal with. Um, if he said he'd be somewhere, if he said to call him at such a time, he was always there, very professional in that way. Um, never one who would, you know, who you'd ring and then he'd say, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot or anything like that. Totally professional in our dealings you know hard worker workaholic in many ways i can't sit still has got to be doing something you know whether that's be that's sort of um renovating the house working in the gardens or getting ready for his speedway meetings hard work pays off doesn't it yes (laughs) (laughs) so we've got ivan major and ty woofenden first two names on the sheet it's looking good so far who's at three Well, well i have to say that um my whole team is world champions. Wow. <laughs> uh, I've not gone for the, you know, the person who, you know, the extrovert who isn't quite as good because I think if you've got no points limit, you've got to literally go for the riders who will score you the most points. Yeah. And, and I don't think any of these need anyone else in them. I'd have to say um, Barry Briggs. Um, Barry Agrain, you know, never... Totally different personality to Ivan. I probably know Brigo better now than I did then, um, because you know, I suppose being in Ivan's camp, there was always that little bit of a maybe an edge that you couldn't really, you know, totally relax. But since um, 
retirement, I've got to know Brigger very well. Uh, we still speak sort of quite regularly uh, on the phone about different things. Not usually Speedway, it's usually about, you know, other things that, um, you know, he'll tell me what he's been doing and, you know, do I know where I can find such and such and how we can speak to the, you know, the chief executive of Wembley <laughs> and stuff like that. He's, you know, a super bloke and super character, super rider. Um, again, he was one of the, you know, the big four when they were all handicapped. You know, you, you, you couldn't inc not include him in your top seven. You know, he was such a, a personality in his own right and a sporting personality. Um, you, to, to, even today, if, if you talk to people of sort of probably my generation and maybe a little bit younger, they all have heard of Barry Briggs, haven't they? Oh, yeah, everybody's. I mean, and, and he's done that. He turns up at stadiums. I've seen him going around um, doing the Benevolent Fund collection with the buckets before. Have you? Yeah, yeah. at Sheffield, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, but he's not only in Speedway. Mm -hmm. Like Briggo knew all the TV people. He's a, a great personal friend of um, Bernie Eccleston. He, he was a great personal friend of Harry Wheatcroft, who owned Donington Park. You know, he's, he's a personal friend of Harry Redknapp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he's well connected. He's so well connected, yeah. To totally. And they, they they know him as, you know, Briggo and... I've always said to him, I said, well, you, the greatest asset you had was the alliteration of your name. You know, the, the Barry Briggs is a name that is easy to remember. Yes. So. <laughs> but I'm sure it was you know, a, a bit more than that, I'm sure. Yeah, I think so. So that's um, three riders chosen in your all-time one to seven. Who is going to be at number four then, Peter? Someone I didn't know that well when I when he was racing and got to know him much better in his later days and certainly since retired, Ovi Funding, who won five world finals. Um, he was always, always appeared to have been a little bit aloof um, and, you know, keep himself to himself. But he, he isn't, he, certainly since he's retired, he, he hasn't been that. He's always very open. I've, I've actually written a, a piece with him in this week's Speedway Star when he, you know, contacted me and sort of said, oh, you can you, can you do something? I'd like to talk about this. So I obviously rang him back and we, we chatted away. Uh, and some of the stories he came out with were sort of amazing. To, you know, he's so open with his, his own life, his personal life. Amazing person that he, you know, he lives, he's got a house in the south of France near Saint-Tropez. And last Saturday, he actually got on his BMW motorbike and rode all the way to Sweden. Wow. <laughs> um, and he's, I think he's, he's 87. <laughs> he went on his own. He took his tent with him um, because he wasn't sure he could get accommodation um, because of lockdown and all those and, and rode all the way to Sweden. You're as old as you feel, as, uh, I guess is the yeah, one saying. <laughs> obviously. Um, and when, when you, you talk to people like him and Brigo, you, you realise what extraordinary people they were, um, mm. and you, you you also get some inkling as to how they won world championships because they they do have a different outlook on life to people. Like you know, Brigo is the same. Brigo is still riding his trials bike up in the mountains in uh, Southern California. You know, he goes out regularly, 
when you get British, they're they're more than pensioners, aren't they? They're, they're veteran pioneers. Um, so you can see they are very, very different sort of people. Okay, who's at number five then? Right, number five. Coming up, uh, I suppose, a modern-day rider, current rider. Um, if the pandemic ends, Jason Crump. Um, I'd, I'd known his dad, Phil, quite well. I did, I did some work with Phil. I used to manage Phil for a couple of years during Phil's heyday, arranging his, uh, basically his German continental grass-track speedway meeting. So I've, I've known F- Jason literally since he was a baby, mm-hmm. um, since a baby in nappies, and that, I do mean that literally. Um, so we signed him then, um, yeah, when he was 16, to ride for us at Exeter. He, he really was a tremendous rider, um, you'd have a fallout with Jason during a meeting. You would fall out with him, um, but you'd guarantee that the following morning he'd be on the phone. He'd say, "Hi, boss, it's Jason. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that last night, uh, and all forgotten." Mm-hmm. And you, you just knew that that was his. One of the things he always said to um, when he was racing for us, and he said, "Never ever ask me." If I want to go in heat 15, tell me. It's not my, it's your decision to take, your team manager's decision to take. Just tell me. Say, you're in heat 15. Well, you can't and argue you, with that, can you? You can't. No, no, you can't. Relatively easy to always to do a deal with. There were quite a few riders who you would do a deal with at the beginning of the season, and no matter what happened, they would never, ever come back and say, oh, this, that, the other has happened. I want more money. Jason was one of those, like another one who isn't in the team, but was a super guy to deal with on that basis, Mick Poole. They, they just accepted, once they'd done the deal, if they smashed up five bikes in a row, that was down to them. Nothing to do with the promoter. Um, they would always get on with it. And, you know, and there were a lot of riders who were the opposite. Like I've known riders not necessarily who've ridden for me but there was one famous um scandinavian rider who was known as someone who would never ever stick to his deal would always hold the promoter to ransom at some stage in the season threaten not to ride threaten to down tools and when you go back and look at his this rider's particular record you can see why he changed clubs almost every year mm. because remoters just literally had enough of him um, promoters, by and large, you know, don't renege on their deals with a rider, and I think it's incumbent on riders not to renege on their deals with the promoter. You know, he'd have his yeah. little flare-ups and his bursts on, on an actual meeting, but you know, I think that that was just the adrenaline. That just shows you care as well, I think, as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, yeah, Jason's sort of someone else that we sort of still keep in touch with, you know. Still talk to each other quite regularly, and you know, managed to keep his you know, secret touring for about a month that he was coming back to England. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know, and we hope that that happens in some form or another. Yeah, he's he's still you know, keen to do it. He, you know, he still wants to do it. Yeah, um, there's no doubt, no doubt about that. We just hope that he gets the the opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, two places left in your team. Then who's next? Uh, Greg Hancock. How can you not include someone who's ridden for so long? 
was going to say, he's there's an entire generation of people who've uh, have not known a world of Speedway or indeed Speedway Grand Prix without him being involved. Well, no, they, they certainly haven't known um, Speedway Grand Prix without him being involved, have they? Because, um, okay, he wasn't involved last year, but that was only through the, the, sadly the illness that sort of Jenny, Jenny had. But he was, if you remember, he was actually named in the Grand Prix lineup both last year and this year. Yeah, yeah. Until he, until he you know, felt he needed to withdraw. And he, he's, he's just like a. A thirty-year-old, isn't they? A twenty-nine-year-old. You, it's almost un, unfathomable that at fifty, he can still still be racing and can still still have the enthusiasm for it. I always remember again going back to Ivan that you know he always said to me, he said, "I I could carry on racing till I'm fifty, but I couldn't carry on with everything else involved. I couldn't travel, carry on with the travel, uh, with the late nights, with." With all he said, that that is the side that stops you riding till you're fifty. Yeah. But Greg has has overcome all that, and it, you know, he's, you know, to win world titles so so far apart. What was it? He won what ninety ninety five ninety six? Was it his first one? I think so. Yeah. I'm yeah, not. And, I think yeah. And, and his last one, you know, nearly certainly twenty years, nearly. More than twenty years apart, wasn't it? That is absolutely unbelievable, isn't it? In in any sport, it's unbelievable. And then to win it, then so soon after that, as well. Yeah, to keep winning it, and and still to be at that level. And um, like I'm sure that if Greg decided he makes he wants to make a comeback next year, he'd still be at that same level. Um, he's also he's a nice bloke. He's um, very. But he's very, he's very young, isn't he, at heart? He is still on totally the same wavelength as as teenagers, and on uh, with twenty year olds, he he speaks the same language of them without you know looking stupid like most of us. If we <laughs> you know say oh you're wicked and uh, and stuff like that, that you know people look at you and say well, what's this old bloody man doing trying to pretend he's a teenager? Yeah, he's Whereas certainly we, cooler than me now. <laughs> yeah, he's cooler than us all, isn't he? He's, uh, it's, um, it was 97, 2011, 2014 and 2016. So 97 to 2011. So 14 years. It's a long, long time, isn't it? I mean, some, some riders have, have um, started their careers and ended it in less time than that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you look how many riders must have retired during Greg's career. Oh, Hundreds. <laughs> it's got to be, hasn't it? Literally, it has to be hundreds. Yeah. Like, you know, there are riders who you know, weren't born it's... when Greg was racing in a world final. Well, indeed, yeah. I mean, there's riders riding now who have, um, well, they were, they were born 2003, 2004. Yeah. Must be. Yeah. Here's another one who um, treats everybody the same, irrespective of their age. He isn't condescending towards young people. He will take young people on board. If he thinks young people can do a job, he will, he will employ them. Um, he's just got no age. He hasn't got an ageism gene in his body. You know, and that's probably why, why he's been so successful yeah. for so long. And he's such, again, he's such a bloody nice bloke. He's, you know, again, I've, I've, had, I've had more dealings with him um, 
probably over the last two years, say, than perhaps the whole of his career. By that I mean speaking to him more regularly, you know, because we were sort of involved on talking about something. And I did a lot of early features this year, um, you know, with him. And he's another one who says, you know, if you, you know, WhatsApp him at three o'clock our time on a on next Thursday afternoon, you know that when you call at three o'clock next Thursday afternoon, he will answer. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't, he will immediately send you a message. Oh, sorry, could you, you know, ring me in half an hour? Or we'll ring you back in half an hour. Um, there, there are an awful lot of people who don't do that. You know, there are lots of people, aren't there, who arrange you arrange to talk to and then they you know they're not there for one reason or another but greg always seems to be there it must make it a lot easier for you being a journalist when you're trying to track these people down as well because i guess you know to to know that you've got someone like greg that you can pick up the phone to and arrange to talk to and you know it's not going to be a hassle must make your job a lot easier as well absolutely yeah because the the big thing about being because of a journalist particularly doing working for national newspapers is that you by and large the big names means something to the sports editors and the sports staff. But I, I can almost guarantee I will get a story in a national newspaper about Ty Buffenden, um, simply because they know, they've heard of Ty Buffenden. And equally, yeah, the way they've heard of, you know, of Greg Hancock. Mm-hmm. And, and then this, this year, the, you know, the pandemic has been strange because it's been the easiest time there has ever been to actually speak to riders. Um, yes because, you know they're not on aeroplanes you know they're in at the moment they're all in poland on lockdown so by and large you can get them you know if you ring them they will answer because they're in the one place they're not they're not deciding they've got to get up at three o'clock in the morning to get a flight from roslaf back to stansted and then tomorrow they're back off to sweden um you know so it's been a you know, uh, a real buzz for journalists, yeah. <laughs> and I would imagine it applies to any other sport except football. Like football, obviously, you never ever speak to a footballer these days as a journalist. Yeah. At yeah. the speedway, you always do. So you've got one slot left, well, one, have, one world champion left. Yeah, I've got one world champion left. And again, there is a story behind this. It's Peter Craven. I, I saw him quite regularly at Bellevue during the early 60s until his death. So it's not that I didn't see him. I, I certainly didn't see him at Liverpool because, you know, they got rid of him when he was still in his teens. Obviously, Frank McLean, who I've spoken about, he told me all sorts of things about him. Um, he was spectacular, crowd pleaser, lovely guy. Again, friendly, great with the fans. You just wonder what he might have achieved if he hadn't... Uh, being killed in uh, in '63 because mm-hmm. um, he was then he was a two-time world champion. He, he just lost his world title, hadn't they? In, in when he had that accident at Edinburgh, the old Meadowbank. So I have to include him because he he is the link to all my speedway. Yeah, absolutely. You know, without sort of Peter Craven, I don't know. Would I have got involved in speedway? I don't. It's, I don't really know. And what I'm finding is that I think for everybody who um, I've spoken to on this, their their involvement in Speedway has very much been in that way that, you know, there's been a chance meeting with it in many respects. And, uh, you know, the love affair from then goes on. But I guess that's life, isn't it? 
that's certainly speedway life Ian, isn't it that mm. um you know, you do either fall in love with the sport or you just don't you, you hate the sport you, you know you <laughs> think it's absolutely boring and not worth going and watch and yeah i'm glad to say i don't think my love for the sport has ever dimmed i'm not not one of those who believes it was better in the old days it wasn't you know the racing today you know is as good as it's ever been on occasions it's as bad as it's ever been a really good speedway meeting is still something that i don't think you can get a better sporting experience yeah absolutely uh well with the with your sporting experience putting together here then so that's your team your all-time one to seven ivan major ty woofenden barry briggs ov Fundin, jason crump greg hancock peter craven um who's going to referee this now this might come as a surprise to you mm-hmm. it'll certainly come to a surprise as a, a lot of the riders i i know that most people so far have um said tony Steele. yeah and I, I certainly wouldn't argue with Tony Steele. But strangely enough, I would go for Frank Ebden. Um, Frank uh, had a reputation of being a real stickler, a rule book man. And that is actually what I, I really loved about Frank Ebden. You knew what he was going to do. Um, if he told you to sit still at the start, as a rider, that if they didn't sit still at the start, he would exclude them. Mm-hmm. He would find them. He was an absolute stick. He would go by the rule book all the time. But you knew that he would. He wouldn't bend the rules. He wouldn't favour someone because, you know, like referees sometimes do. Oh, well, you know. He was just a, a straight up and down sort of bloke. I don't know. I'd, I'd, sometimes I'd prefer someone you know exactly what he's going to do because yeah. you can never then go back and say oh you, you didn't say that at least you know yeah. you're dealing with the, the rule book then you know you yeah. know if it's in yeah. a rule book you know what he's going to do <laughs> he didn't make up the rules yeah he just followed the rules you know he did exactly what it said in the rule book and he did exactly what he said to you i think i was probably one of the the few team managers i don't think you'll get anyone else uh saying frank ebden as the referee he, he would run the meeting quickly. Uh, you knew that the two-minute buzzer would go on almost as soon as the race was over. Um, he wouldn't sort of tolerate you saying, oh, I want another five minutes. Um, can we all have a cup of coffee? <laughs> he was just so totally straight up and down. And, and I like people who are straight up and down because you, you can't complain. If they yeah. stick to it. <laughs> you, know, you know what you're getting. Yeah, he would never <laughs> tell you something to your face. And then go against it or not follow it through. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was smart. He was intelligent. Um, despite what people think, I, I think he genuinely had a, a love of Speedway. A lot of people said, oh, he only goes there, gets to the track and wants to get home as quickly as possible. I don't believe that. I think Frank was a genuine Speedway fan. I think he was a sad loss when he he stopped refereeing um, because there on occasions, there are too many referees who, you know, just make, almost make up their decisions on the, they mm. haven't really thought them, thought them through, but Frank knew exactly what he was going to do. And you couldn't pull the wool over his eyes. It was never worth going on to Frank and trying to argue that he'd got the decision wrong, because you knew he would never, ever change his decision. He made the decision that he thought was right. 
uh, every referee, every team manager, every rider gets decisions on crashes wrong. You get different views, don't you? But you knew that Frank would make it for the simple reason he thought it was right. And on the subject of the rule book, if you were to be uh, permitted to, to change one rule, or maybe slightly more, depending, uh, <laughs> where would you start on that? The first one I would do, um, which I've thought quite long and hard about it, is go back to the time when riders could touch the tapes and were only excluded if they actually broke them. Mm. Um, and I would also, almost coupled with that, I would do away with all the rules that have over the years almost made team managers obsolete and redundant. I would just like to see a total free-for-all. You have your seven riders and you put them wherever you want that's in the team so that your team managers then would have to use their skills and their knowledge. Um, yeah, and the same with sort of things like tactical substitutes. Not None of this, oh, you, you can use a tactical substitute, but only in heat A to F. Yeah. And then in X to Y, not in G because he's in it. Straight open. If you wanted to put um, Ty Wuffenden at reserve, do it. And then it's up to the opposing team manager to combat that. And, and, and it's kind of like what they do in Poland in a way, isn't it? They, they, they do have more flexibility to move the, uh, the positions around a little bit more there. Yeah, yeah, why not? Why not be able to have a rider who is good? At, same with gate positions. I'd do away with fixed gate positions. I know a lot of people will argue vehemently against that and say, well, no, no, this helps. But why shouldn't you be able to pick between your riders, what gate position they go off. Mm. So if you've got a really good gator who's good off the inside, let him go off the inside every race, if you think that's the advantage of your your team. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, I, I just, I, I believe that team managers should be as, I'm not going to say as, as important as, because that should never be the case, that riders are always going to be the most important people. But team managers should have more say on the results of meetings. Team managers, so if they get it wrong and they're not very good, the team will lose. If they get it right, then there's a possibility the team will win. Whereas today, your yeah, team managers are almost redundant, aren't they? What do they do? Very little. Yeah, just implement what, uh, what little control they have, what I suppose. They, yeah, yeah. And their only argument is, oh, well, the rule book says A, B, C and D. You know, just like that, let's have a really free-for-all. It's like could you imagine that, I don't know if there is any other sport where there is such a restriction. Like you don't turn around at football and you know, to Jurgen Klopp and say, oh, well, you've got to play uh, Jordan Henderson in midfield. If he wants to play him in goal, he can. Mm -hmm. You don't turn around in cricket and say that Joe Root has got to bat at number three. If he wants to open the innings or wants to bat at number eight, he can. It's a very good point. It's a very good point. And the the last question that I have for you is um, who would be the opposition for your, your team of, of world champion all-stars? So this can be any team, uh, assembled team from from history. Um, well, who would you like to see at this uh, this dream meeting of yours? Yeah. Well, other than going for um, you know, a Liverpool team from 1940 or something, I would have to probably the there's a cho choice, isn't there, between the best team ever, whether it was the 
Peter Adams Cradley Heath team or the Oxford team of what was it 1986 mm. the Oxford team that were unbeaten um, I would think I would have to go for the Oxford team um, because they did go through the the season unbeaten okay they didn't run two two home matches but there's absolutely no reason to think they wouldn't have won those final two home matches if the weather hadn't intervened they were also joint holders weren't they of the knockout cup um, so I, I think that one led by Hans Nielsen would have to be the best they had you know Hans and Simon Wig you know he wasn't probably man for man the best team that we've ever seen certainly the Cradley one would have to have been but I think that Oxford team under the rules was probably the best team we have seen you know because you can't argue against a team going unbeaten Absolutely not. And the it, team wins every, every league match that they race. How can you argue? That's got to be the best league team there has ever been, hasn't it? Like, like obviously, you know, it'd be easy. I could have picked another seven riders and say, well, that would be my next, the team to race against. You, know, you could use hmm. a Tony Ricardson and Arcee Ward. Um, but, you know, if we're going to for an actual team that there was, I'd go yeah. for that, that Oxford team. Oxford 1986. Then that's um, that's the first time that's been suggested. I think uh, Cradley has been uh, has been uh, mentioned in the past, but yeah, I think it's the first mention for Oxford. And you're, you're right; it's such a uh, a great team. Obviously, going unbeaten, but you know, people like Hans Nielsen and Simon Wig in that side. It's um, very but very to, strong. To go, to go unbeaten is amazing, yeah. isn't it? In a season. It's been fantastic speaking uh, with you, uh, Peter. Thanks for uh, Thanks, spending Ian. the Enjoyed time, it. and uh, yeah, it's been it's been wonderful to to hear all those uh, all those stories, and hopefully um, we can uh, all get back to a track and uh, watch some uh, new events in the future. Hopefully, not too long away from now. Good to talk to you. And- do stay safe. Thanks for listening. Keep checking back to Humans of Speedway's podcast feed because we've got new episodes on the way. We're going to serialise some more Speedway Paradise moments as well. And of course, for the latest updates and preview clips, you can hear them by subscribing to us on social media. On Facebook, search for Humans of Speedway. And on Twitter, we are at Speedway Humans. And thanks for listening and speak again soon. Podcast Network.